0: Hi, I'm Aubrey, and this is my podcast. I found some things I wanted to chat about today, but I also, I think I'm going to draw from my magic box first. And I put it here in my nicely organized desk area in a place where I could easily access spontaneity and surprise. Surprise! I'm going to pick three cards because I make fun of myself. We're having a magic box. Another one, I'm gonna do another one, because three is the magic number. Okay, let's see. Okay, (laughs) I don't really believe in this anymore. Well, I don't know. So I wrote, stop working on yourself. This should have started with, for Pete's sake, stop working on yourself. You're already whole and perfect, just the way you are. That is true, actually. There is nothing you need to have, do, or think. Do I agree with that now? I guess, in theory, I agree with it. Yeah, we are whole and perfect, but we sort of gum up the channels by not thinking that we're whole and perfect, thereby making ourselves sort of messy and broken acting and disjointed and chaotic and complex. We are whole and perfect underneath all the thinking. I do believe on that. What else did I pull? The other thing I pulled is, this is what the card says. And I really like this idea. Every moment is an opportunity to ask, what am I missing? What am I missing? There is an opportunity to learn something in every single moment. And it's just a matter of noticing it and catching it. Everyone and everything is a teacher. Well, I do love that, don't you? First of all, it's implying that curiosity is the way forward through everything. Secondly, it's implying that we're never going to get to the bottom of learning at all. So take that stress and pressure off of our shoulders. And thirdly, how freaking fun is that to learn everything in every moment, just to notice and be aware and, and see more in every single moment. I love that. I freaking love that. It can make a dog walk actually enjoyable. You know, I'm going to put this back in my magic box and maybe I'll pull them again some other time. Mm. This is an Alan Watts quote I pulled. Alan Watts, life is not a journey. Me. Oh, (laughs) I'm talking to Alan Watts. Wait a second. What? Alan Watts, life is not a journey. Me. You are a journey. There is a journey inside yourself. And when you take it, (laughs) Aubrey, when you take it, play yourself like a musical instrument. That is embarrassing. That's like something I would write in sixth grade poem about play yourself like a musical instrument. Did Alan Watts say that? Life is not a journey. Let me, I'm going to look this up. Hang on. Life is not a journey. He said this. In an enlightening, brilliantly illustrated episode of After School with a K, British philosopher Alan Watts eloquently explains that life should not be considered a journey because The end is not the primary goal, unlike that of travel, which is all about getting there. Well, hold on. I have to pause and think about this. I mean, obviously, they're more enlightened than I am, but I don't know. This is semantics to me. I think that's an incomplete message. I think what he meant is life is not a journey with a set destination. But you can still take a journey. Are there any journeys that don't have a set destination? I guess that's an exploration. So life is an exploration. All right. I'm going to agree with you, Alan. But me, I said, you are a journey. There is a journey inside yourself. And when you take I'm not going to say it again. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> there is a journey inside yourself. I mean, there is a journey inside yourself but the, and the destination is you. That's fair. That's fair. The destination is you. I like that. I should publish that one. Anyway, I'm not going to pull any more today. That was enough uh, enlightenment for you. So here's what I was thinking about. I was having a debate as I was walking bocce around this pond where we live. And I was having this debate about youth culture in my head. And I was thinking, I was sort of lamenting this, not lamenting, that sounds like I'm having throwing myself over across. Okay, I was grumpily wondering why we live in a youth culture. And then I was like, do we actually live in a youth culture? Because a youth culture, you know, if we, you know, quote, worshipped a youth culture, that means we worship things like ignorance and independent thought without consequences or like newness and innovation and spontaneity. But I don't think think we actually live in a culture that worships oh gosh do we though innovation i mean we do we do live in a culture that worships innovation so i'm going to put one in the column for worshiping youth culture but it doesn't win it doesn't win all the t- most a lot of the time most of the time it, it doesn't win youth culture doesn't win youth culture is dominant but it's not dominant in the ways we do things so it's like We worship it as freeing impulse, youthfulness, as a freeing and independent impulse. But when it comes to how we do things, we do not worship youth culture. We worship tradition and constancy and certainty and the known world and control. And we try to take youth culture ideas like innovation and spontaneity and stuff them into this framework of control and predictability, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Youth culture values, once they grow and get massive enough, once it spreads through the collective, it tends to break that controlling container it's been stuffed in. And you know what that is a perfect segue to? The age of Aquarius. Pluto has been in Capricorn since, I want to say 2008. And it is finally moving into Aquarius. So now we're going to have Saturn and Pluto in Aquarius, which is really turning over the soil and breaking down old controlling structures and kind of building things, building our world around these more youthful cultural ideas. Oh, cultural? Ribbit? Cultural ideas like innovation and independent thinking, and spontaneity. That was what I was thinking about as as walking. Oh, you know what I do think? I do think that we worship youth culture as a spiritual idea. That's what it is. You know what I think it is? I think everybody knows deep down that that place inside themselves that's blissfully ignorant and free, ignorant of all certainty, ignorant of all positive potential, free of all the constraints of woulda, shoulda, coulda, that youthful place of innocence that actually tends to act more freely and express our true spirit. And I think that's what we worship. I think we worship the parts of ourselves that are still spontaneous and we're still trying to get back to, but we don't understand that anytime we want to stay in the world of control and certainty, that we're just destroying that spontaneous free-flowing creativity. So we have this part of ourselves that's really free, that's really independent and buoyant and spontaneous and doesn't analyze, doesn't censor, is childlike and playful and doesn't judge, doesn't put up walls. It just, it wants to flow. It wants to go. And it tends to be, tends to be sometimes the, the weirder parts of ourselves. And then we go to school, (laughs) Then, then we go to school and that free flowing, wise, innately intelligent part of ourselves that defies all expectation, that defies all societal and cultural rules that is just us gets hidden because we want to get chosen. We want to get chosen for the team. We want to get chosen for the school play. We want to get chosen by other friends. We want to get chosen by the guy in class. We want to get chosen to be on the cheerleading squad. I very much did and did not. And it's still pains me that I didn't make the cheerleading squad in junior high. And we want to get chosen to have good partners on the bus. We want to get chosen extracurricular activities. And we want to get chosen to get into a good school after high school. Then we want to get chosen for a job. So we have this part of ourselves that gets hidden. It becomes our secret self. I think the idea of not getting chosen is the threat. So a long, long time ago, maybe two decades ago, I talked to this psychologist, and I believe it was a psychologist who wrote a book about how our memories are stored in our cells. They, they actually discovered and could prove where different memories were actually stored physically in our cells. And I cannot even begin to find this book or recall what it is, but if anyone wants to know what it is, I can dredge it up. So you can always message me. But right now, um, it's not in my brain. Anyway, but I talked to the, the psychologist who wrote this amazing book. And he was talking about people who perceive threats in the world, sort of persistent threats to our own self worth and feeling that we're loved and safe and secure. And so we have these threats in the world, other people that threaten that aspect of ourselves. And he told me the amoeba story and he said, in lab experiments, they would put an amoeba in a, in a petri dish and then they would put a toxin in the same petri dish, not close to the amoeba, like on the other side of the petri dish. And that toxin, the, the amoeba would perceive that threat and to defend itself, didn't like shy away from or crawl up the side of the petri dish. It moved towards the toxin and ingested it. It ate it. It took it into itself so that it was no longer a threat from the outside. Now, when I heard this, my jaw was on the floor because it explains how we create these, the buzzword of the day, stories in our minds about ourselves, we ingest these threats. We take in these stories and they become part of us because if they're not outside, then they're not threatening us. If it's inside, it's, it's perhaps more controllable or coming from a known source. It becomes our story. We take ownership of this threat. You could go on and on and on and into like the analogy between what an amoeba does to neutralize the threat and what we do to neutralize threats. So then I was thinking about getting chosen and how we sort of ingest these stories about worthy parts of ourselves and how much we deserve to be chosen. And so we hide these parts of ourselves away, right? And I think I was realizing that I spent my whole socialized life trying to get chosen for something on some level, like we all do, okay? I'm not like the only one that does this. (laughs) It was at the expense... of of tuning into my deeper values. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking that is the gift of getting older, is that you stop caring so much. (laughs) You stop caring so much about what other people think, and you start caring a lot more about your own deeper values, and you tune into them. And you say, hey, wait a minute. I used to love fill in the blank. I used to be Fill in the blank. I think most of us, anyone, can identify with waking up one day and realizing that your deeper values, the things you love, aren't always the things that you've been chosen for and that they've been relegated to something called a hobby. And sometimes I think hobbies are really just our secret selves, right? Aren't they? Aren't our hobbies always kind of our secret self? Why have a hobby? hobby is something we're trying to keep alive in in ourselves. Now, that being said, I'm not sure. I'm not an, an analyst, but, you know, it's interesting to think about what might somebody be keeping alive by collecting things, collecting things for their whole life. Or how about starting something, like starting to collect something later in life. It's keeping alive something. And that's a really interesting, it's an interesting thing to think about. Do you have any hobbies? And is that part of your secret self? Does everyone have a secret self? Everyone has a secret self. So I declare today National Secret Self Day. I think to be happy, we have to find expression and avenues for our secret selves. For some people, that might mean beyond having a hobby. Sometimes having a hobby is the consolation prize of expressing our secret self. I'm going to cough. (coughs) i just had to cough up my secret self it's out now i think that's why i love oracle systems and astrology intuition reading between the lines energy work because it's there are ways that we can contact our secret selves the secret selves are really important. They're parts of ourselves that are magical and precious and really valuable. And they're us. We hide it away and we have to make sure we excavate it, excavate those parts of ourselves because they're part of our aliveness. And I feel strongly about that. And I'm going to go out into the street and march on that right now. No, I I just am passionate about it. I don't use that word too often, but I am passionate about bringing, about the necessity to bring more of ourselves into our everyday life to come alive. So that's why I do astrology. It speaks to all the parts of ourselves. And when you have an astrology reading with me, you can't hide. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I'm, I'm compassionate. I don't, I don't out anybody, but I definitely appreciate everything I see. And sometimes, you know, we're blind. We have blind spots about who we are and what we are. And sometimes we forget. I certainly, sometimes I forget like, oh yeah, I used to do that. Or, oh yeah, I used to be that. Or I want more people to come alive. I want more people to feel vital and alive and to feel like it's safe to pull out their secret selves and live with them front and center. We need more weirdos too in the world. Good Lord. You know, if we had more weirdos in the world, if we had more freaks and weirdos, nobody would seem weird at all. No one would be shocking or alarming. Everything, everyone would just be interesting. All right. So this is National Fly Your Freak Flag Day. <laughs> Whip out your secret self. I think I have by doing this podcast. I think, I think I'm headed towards um, full disclosure here. Who the heck does this? Who, who does this? I mean, I know millions of people do it. I mean, you gotta be a little wacko to think, oh, this is a great idea. That's it. Go be weird. All right. I love your weird self. You should too. All right. Bye.